The people made up for it by shouting, Hosanna to God in the highest as Jesus came into the city. It was a triumphal entry. We know that it led to tragedy before the end of the week. But Jesus made a triumphant exit when he rose from the dead. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Just as Leslie had read earlier, the whole city was stirred up. People were coming from everywhere. Oh, well, it was Passover, but it was also people had come to see what Jesus, they heard he was going to make a trip to Jerusalem, and many thought that this was going to be their day that this was going to be the sign of things to come, where the powers that be, the religious powers, the political powers would uh, soon be taken over by Jesus and his followers. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowds began to say, This is the prophet Jesus from, the Nazareth, from Nazareth of Galilee. Who is this? They asked. Who is this? All the way back to Matthew 16, Jesus began to change some of his methods in terms of his, uh, how he was dealing with the crowds and began to focus on his disciples and teaching them the things that they needed to know to, about the kingdom that was coming, about the spiritual life that was going to be in Jesus Christ and how there was going to be judgment, but there was also going to be salvation. And Jesus was teaching them, no, I'm going to be killed. But I will rise again on the third day. Peter rebuked him. If you can imagine somebody trying to rebuke Jesus Christ. But Peter, knowing what we know about him, he tried. And Jesus said, no, get behind me, Satan. I must do this. Because what you're looking for, your hope and desire is you're looking for things that are not of God. You're looking for something that's going to change the powers that be and an overthrow. That's the thoughts and the desires of men. That's not what I've come to do. I've come to make a change in your life, in your heart. I've come to give you salvation. I've come to give you the choice of of, of seeking what everything that God might have for you is. And you can make a choice between that or following what He told him three times during this period that he was going to die. But Jesus tells Peter that you are looking for all of this from the perspective of what serves your hopes, but not my will. Fred Craddock, a, a teaching professor, Asked the question, but there was a question that was asked that day by the crowd. Who is this man? A good friend of mine, we were in seminary together, always taught sound doctrine, sound Bible study. He, he felt like he did not want to err on the doctrines that were so crucial to our Christian faith. In the last few years, he's turned his back on all of that. And one of my last communiques with him, he was kind of 
using what he had now chosen as a belief to support his political ideology and was attacking mine uh, based on my Christian faith. He said, I wrote back to him, I said, what, what changed? He says, well, I don't understand anymore this man Jesus. That was the change. He stopped believing in the God of Jesus Christ rather than accepting the philosophies of mankind. He chose to accept Jesus as nothing more than a man. Several weeks ago, we preached right here that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Fully man, he went to the... But there was great expectation that day, and many people were asking, who was this man? Rather than realizing that this was God. Who was there? What were they expecting? We have the religious leaders there. We've been talking in Sunday school a little bit the last several weeks about the great expectations that people had of what Jesus was going to do. But we had the expectations of the religious leaders. The zealots were there. They were members of a political movement uh, among the, the Jews who sought to overthrow the Roman government. Were they thinking, is this their time? Jesus is coming. He's riding that colt. Was this his entry into the city now going to be an uprising to overthrow the government? Many of them probably thought that as Jesus rode in and the crowd sat out, shouted Hosanna. They probably thought this was it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, both groups were honored, honored Moses and the law. They both had a measure of, of political power. Religiously, the Sadducees were more conservative in that they insisted on a little interpretation of the scriptures. Pharisees, on the other hand, gave tradition and ritual and some of the things that had come to be practices as part of if the Sadducees couldn't find a command in the, uh, in the Old Testament, they dismissed it as man-made. had had their day with Jesus. They'd had the chance to ask Jesus questions. And now, as he enters the city, what were they thinking? Who will he validate? Will he validate the Pharisees? Will he validate the Sadducees? There was apparent conflict between the two. And both of them were in control of the religious uh, court system of that day, the Sanhedrin. Who would Jesus validate that day? Probably what they were thinking. The Herodians, another group. They were looking to Rome and, and submitting to Herod for political expediency. The support of Herod compromised Jewish independence in the minds of the Pharisees. And they, the Pharisees along with the Herodians, had asked Jesus one day, thinking that he would support them and the Roman government, who should we pay taxes to? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Hoping that he would substantiate their reason for existing. And Jesus just simply said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what is God's. He did not. At the beginning of the Sermon Mount, Jesus shocked his audience by declaring that the righteousness of the scribes was not enough to get anyone into heaven. And he spent the greater part of the Sermon on the Mount 
telling about how the scribes had tried to follow the letter of the law rather than the intent of the law. Was Jesus there to validate them? Who was going to win? Who was going to have control? Who was going to have Jesus on their side? Jesus did not come to validate any of them. He came to validate that he was Jesus Christ, the almighty son of the living God, and he came to pay for our salvation. That's what he was validating. There were the political leaders. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea from 26, AD 26 to 36. And he was serving at the pleasure of the emperor. And he was prone to give in to political pressure. He's the one that authorized the flogging and the crucifixion of Jesus. Why? against his own conscience, against the device of his wife, which you don't do, go against that. He chose political expediency. In charge of the area of Galilee, Pilate looked to him towards the end of the week because Jesus was from Galilee and Herod was the, the Roman rule in that area. But this Herod was also the son of another Herod, the Herod that had ordered the killing of uh, all of the male babies when Jesus was just a babe. He had tried to find out where he was being born so he could uh, order uh, his death, even as an infant. And now his son was in charge. Jesus has had a very good friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, and Herod, this Herod had beheaded John. What is he thinking? As Jesus enters the city, if he does take power, if he does take control, as the people are saying, is he going to focus his retaliation upon me and my father for what he did 30 years ago, 33 years ago, and upon me because of what I did to John the Baptist? Everybody had expectations. Everybody wondered what was going to happen as Jesus entered the city. The crowds, they've been following him for a couple of years, and they were watching miracles take place in front of them. They were experiencing the teaching of Jesus, the, the sound teaching, and how the laws of the Old Testament and the rituals and the traditions all made sense in the way that Jesus was bringing sense to them, and they could follow the charge and was leading the people. And they followed him. Some of them gave up everything, everything to follow him, some with expectations of what he might do in terms of changing the religious system, the political system, the military system, being the king, the descendant of David who was going to come to the throne and take back all that Israel had had at one time. The disciples were there. There were fishermen, some of them. They gave up their occupation to follow Jesus. Simon, he was one of those zealots that was looking for the overthrow. He chose Matthew, a tax collector who may have been collecting taxes for the Roman government and was wondering about how Jesus was going to answer that question from those that asked him about do we pay taxes to Caesar? Think of the sons of Zebedee. Just prior to this, their mother now, these were two disciples, but just prior to this, their mother went to Jesus and personally asked Jesus, 
hey, Jesus, I'm a Jewish mom, and I'm proud of my two boys. Thank you. These people had followed Jesus faithfully for three years. With anticipation of seeing their hopes of a new kingdom being ushered in, and see Jesus, or were they going to see Jesus' predictions about death come true? Which would they see? They had the expectations, but Jesus had a message. By the end of the week, every one of their expectations were shot. Judas betrayed him, the disciples denied him, and the crowds disappeared, and those that hung around yelled out, instead of a Hosanna in the highest, they yelled out, crucify him. But they were asking, who is this man? Does Peter recall the question that Jesus had asked his disciples? Whom do men say that I am? Back to Matthew 16 again. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the man, the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, for Peter was asked that question, Who do people say that I am? The crowds were asking on the say that he is. Years ago, I read a book that has impacted my perception of God in many ways. The scriptures, for one. <laughs> but there was an author, J.B. Phillips, who wrote the book, Your God is Too Small. And in that book, he maybe the perceptions that those people had on that day of who Jesus was and what he was going to do. Sometimes we think of God as nothing more than a policeman who's telling behind us and we're very concerned whether we're doing something wrong. Uh, we've all been there. We know when the lights go on, what did I do wrong? I had one stop me not too long ago with a van that said Kodiak Baptist Mission. There's nothing more embarrassing than to be stopped on a highway in this town. A highway. You'd be stopped on a road in this town driving a van that says Kodiak Baptist Mission on it and having a cop with those red lights on behind you. <laughs> and I've met this officer before in a good way. He said, oh, I just want to let you know the taillight's out. Charlie, so we have that feeling when that cop is behind us that we're doing something wrong and that we've got to change something because... God is just watching us to give us a ticket. We have these ideas that we grow up that we need to be afraid of God or he's only about to punish us and or, or, or cause guilt. And maybe we believe that because our, one of our parents was absent that God also is absent. Maybe, maybe we see God as he's only portrayed in the media or the arts. As we think back to Palm Sunday, are we looking for a political Jesus? A recent question that has been posted recently by a couple of pastors, they're asking the question, what do you do with a person who comes into your church and wants to know what your view is on the current 
White House administration before they want to join your church. That's not part of this discussion. This discussion is about Jesus Christ, not our political leaders. I'm not looking for a political Jesus that will help me stand correctly on political issues. Do we have God in a package, the expanse of his love, the expanse of his power, the expanse of his greatness? Are we like the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the others, just looking for Jesus to validate us in what we think we need to be doing? Sometimes that's all we want. Yeah, we all need and look for validation from others about to date their children. We all need some kind of validation. But Jesus didn't come to validate our perspective on things. He came to tell us who he was, that he was the almighty God appearing in flesh to die on the cross for our sins. The megachurch movement, seeker-sensitive, seeking to, like Pilate, to satisfy the crowds. Didn't come to worship this morning to help provide a service that would just satisfy the crowds. We came to proclaim Jesus Christ and to worship him. Is God a disappointment or is he who he said he was? Who was Jesus? Who was that man? C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, and after surveying the evidence regarding Jesus' identity, C.S. Lewis, who was a proclaimed atheist, writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, and you can fall at his feet, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He came to die for our sins. He was resurrected and sitting at the right of hand of the Father for our reconciliation so that we can have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. It is written in Colossians in the first chapter. You want an answer to who Jesus is? The Son is the image of the invisible God. This is scripture. All things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, things that are visible, things that are invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether dead 
on the cross. When Peter tried to rebuke Jesus, Jesus said, Peter, you're looking to satisfy the desires of man, not the will of God. Jesus created all things. He set up all rulers and authorities. He holds all things together. He's head of the church. And by his blood, we have been purchased from the punishment of eternal damnation. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life to its fullest here. And he said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Learn that verse as a kid, it will never leave you. Because that's what Jesus came to do. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I invite him, invite you to come to me today. If you have a need that you need to pray about, come to the altar. We'll pray with you. Make this your church. Because we're here to serve the Lord together.